times have changed. They blew both uh, of those things. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And this is our final episode of the month. We have been covering the Southern film genre for the month of September, a genre we've been kind of defining because it's not really a specific specific kind of genre that people usually uh, talk about or, or define. And this is kind of the the climax of it all with talking about a director that like we usually do every month. And this director today we're talking about is Jeff Nichols and Jeff Nichols is a director who I think really embodies the modern Southern film. You would say. Yeah. We kind of had a discussion when we were picking this week out, like who, who's gonna get this spot. And we, and we talked about some directors who have, who have kind of made modern like Southern classics, but yeah, you know, and when you start to think about it, no one else has worked as tightly within this genre as Nichols has. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And we'll we'll get into him shortly. But before we do that, Thomas, can you give everyone like a recap on what we talked about this month regarding the Southern film genre? So we talked about kind of its origins in in Southern Gothic literature and theater. We talked about To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, a very influential novel, and then also uh, Tennessee Williams as a huge influence on the the southern gothic genre and and how prolific he was in film adaptations of of his own work and we've talked about kind of the themes we start getting into with this idea of like what lies beneath because of of Mm -hmm. southern southern proper you know the way that the the south is set up and you're not supposed to talk about feelings or unpleasant things how all that lies under the surface so a lot of these films are about those sorts of things exploding you know once they've been all bottled up and 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 you just kind of can't hold them in anymore and we also have we've talked about um you know a lot of the the tensions that are inherent to things set in the south are are racial tensions family tensions class tensions yes these are all things that happen anywhere in the world but but they're they're things that you see uh, a lot specifically in the south and and you kind of have those stronger divides um, as far as those things uh, are set in the South specifically. And we also, we've touched on a little bit and we'll see some of it here is, is the kind of like weird mysticism that sometimes yeah. is involved in, in the South as well. And, and and some of that stuff coming into play with some of the movies we discussed, but I, we'll definitely see it in play a little bit uh, this week. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing to briefly mention is kind of that we kind of keep harping on too is like, this idea or this this kind of reoccurring thing thing uh of like the storytelling dna like this gene that kind of runs through a lot of the care a lot of characters in southern films of like kind of they like telling stories and kind of have a very specific belief system based on these stories that they tell and i think that will come into play a little bit with one character today uh in one of nichols's films uh but that's kind of fr- if it's like to kill a mockingbird with gene louise looking back on a life or if it's um, uh, Jessica Tandy's character and Bribing Tomatoes kind of talking about the town that she lives in. And that's another thing too. We talked about this big part of a year ago when we did our Texas month of this like tie to ties to the land in a way. Mm-hmm. It's not as present in Southern films as a whole, but there is still kind of a few things about like ties to your town and the like and the place you live in in some way. It's not as specific as like Texas and like being like Texas pride or something, but there is kind of these like 
this is where I want to live. I want to live in the small town type thing and like be here. Mm-hmm. And if you look back at some of the films we've covered, a lot of films like Fried Green Tomatoes, To Kill a Mockingbird, A Legend of Boggy Creek, they've all kind of covered this like town uh, aspect. And I think this one, specifically when we talk about loving in a way, uh, there are ties to like the like the state mm-hmm. and, and like they want they want to live in their in their in the in their home of Virginia and all that. So a lot of things that with, with the storytelling, with the mysticism, with the repression, all these things are coming to play, and I think they're coming into a head today when we're talking about Jeff Nichols because a lot of these things, if not all of them, are present at least at, in one of his films. Mm-hmm. So what is your history with Jeff Nichols? I. I remember as as when I was in high school ish, um, I read I read the trades, and so like I I remember having a vague idea of Take Shelter. Um, I remember hearing that people liked it. I remembered seeing good reviews, but it didn't really play in Charleston. Um, I, I didn't really have access to it. It was Mud that really put Jeff Nichols on the map for me. Um, it was you know it was right around Killer Joe just before true detective it was the you know a lot of people attribute true detective with the reconnaissance but it was really like that killer joe mud one yeah, two magic punch. mike yeah the yeah, yeah. those that's this kind of yeah. three and um it was mud was mud was big like i knew a lot of people who it was one of those that kind of like word of mouth spread and i knew people who wouldn't normally go to like the indie theater in charleston mm-hmm. who were going to see mud because it was that kind of you know it was kind of spreading like yeah uh, kind of similar to the way peanut butter falcon did a few years ago yeah. it was like this is a movie that really captures it's charming and it captures kind of the feel of the south mm-hmm. um so that mud was what really put him on the map for me i i went back to watch take shelter after that and midnight special you know got a lot of traction as well when it came out and and that's what kind of but I will say what really cemented Jeff Nichols in my mind was uh, I was driving through Little Rock, Arkansas on a road trip once and decided, <clears throat> somebody was like, you have to go see the Capitol building. And so I went to go, I went, just like walked inside the Capitol and they were like, oh, hey, right here, welcome to the Arkansas Film Museum. And I was like, what? You guys have a film museum? And they were like, yeah. And so it was very small. Um, it, it was a couple of rooms, and each room was dedicated to an actor who is from uh, Arkansas. And so it was Mary Steenburgen and Joey Lauren Adams. And then there was a large section devoted to uh, Jeff Nichols. <laughs> and so that was like, oh, okay, yeah, like a lot of mud stuff. And then... Yeah another tied weird tie to jeff nichols i was at a concert uh a couple years ago for one of my favorite artists but the band that was opening for him was Uh, is called lucero yeah and i was really digging him i had never heard of him before was really digging the music and then the lead singer at one point goes now this is a song i wrote for a movie that my brother jeff wrote and directed and it was called (laughs) loving and like launches into the song i was like wait a second what (laughs) yeah yeah. So yeah, and I'm, and I'm now a big. I listen to a ton of Lucero. Really enjoy their band. But yeah, it's it's uh, and they've did they've done some of the music for his films as well. But yeah, um, yeah, it's his his brother. Yeah, the music for Shotgun Stories is what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and he did a music video of theirs, kind of uh, like a short film music video type thing, with uh like Michael Shannon, Scoot McNeary that came out a few years ago called Long Way Home. I believe what's called. Mm. Um. Yeah, similar thing with Nichols. I I came to know him 
weirdly through the video store that I worked at in Alabama because I don't know if I saw Mud or Take Shelter first. Um, I know I saw them both there. I what I specifically remember about Mud is I think Mud was one of the last movies that were like new rentals because we our our store closed like September 2013, and mm-hmm. Mud came out in theaters in April 2013, and I feel like it came out on DVD sometime at the end of that summer before we closed and so i feel like mud was like the last like the last week of new releases i think was mud um and i'm pretty sure i bought one of the like previewed or whatever uh dvds at one point um so and mud yeah again it was that reconnaissance and i think we were very a lot of my friends in college were very i mean ben gertz is a, is a prime example of the big into the matthew mcconaughey the reconnaissance at that point and that really hit home for me, but Take Shelter was one that I remember liking, but almost confused by it because I feel like I wasn't in the. I was I was like a freshman, sophomore, and or I was probably sophomore, junior in college, and I liked it but didn't love it. But it was one that like has literally stuck with me for a decade, and I hadn't seen since then. But I always remembered that movie pretty vividly, mm-hmm. and anytime anyone asks me about like a movie about like paranoia that isn't political. I was just like, go watch take shelter because it, it dives into paranoia in a, in an interesting way. Um, and if it's really paranoia and so, yeah, it's like what I have realized in this research process for this episode, because it feels like all of us love Jeff Nichols and his work. And I realized that like, not everyone knows about him. It was actually kind of, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, no one really, not many people know about him. Apparently like he's kind of like, almost like a, 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 a one of the best kept secrets in a way yeah i definitely think i think loving got the most traction of yeah. any of his movies but i don't know that he specifically you know got a lot of recognition yeah. for it yeah it was like and that was like the uh, prestige like the award stuff and, and that got a lot of traction but like all of his movies have done well critically but not all of his films have done well box office wise and like when watching all of his films this time because i rewatched all of them for this episode and I'm just like, I feel like that he would be the favorite director of most Southerners if they knew about him. Mm-hmm. Because the way he covers the South, like there's shots in mud when um when Ellis, when Ty Sheridan's like in the back of his dad's truck, like riding through the town. I was like, I know this town. I grew up in this town. Like, and mm-hmm. not that town specifically, but like just that vibe and feel of that place. Like I know the characters in these movies. Like I, I, I've had similar conversations with people in like, like in my life that are happening in this movie. And I think he really captures what it's like to live in the South for the most part and capture the ideas that we've been talking about all month and the themes we've been talking about all month. So I, and so it's been, so yeah, in this process, I was like somewhat surprised of how like his stuff was really lesser known and how it finally hit me that like yeah he hasn't made a film in six years mm-hmm. or five years basically his last two films were 2016 and hasn't done much in between now and, or from then and now usually you think someone would go off and get like a tv show of some kind and that has he had one tv show apparently that and like with hbo that he was talking about and it was like actually kind of an interesting concept it was basically set in the future i think in arkansas but it's taking place during like the next Great Depression, which feels very timely, more so than mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a few years ago. But it got passed on very similar to like Deborah Granick's stuff that she tried to do 
uh i think at hbo and it got passed on as well um so yeah so that's kind of our relationship with jeff nichols ready for me to dive into his early beginnings yeah let's do it all right so jeff nichols born on december 7th 1978 in little rock arkansas his father co-owned a furniture store along with his uncle uh and during their off hours instead of going fishing like most southern fathers and sons his father uh would take nichols to the local multiplex and nichols said that growing up he loved filmmakers like spielberg john sales john carpenter ridley scott and any film that starred paul newman and due to that at a very young age jeff knew two things one he wanted to make movies for his career and two he knew he had to move away from his hometown of little rock to do it <laughs> so after graduating high school nichols decided to attend the university of north carolina school of fine arts which had recently i think i i said gain a little bit of notoriety but it felt like he he was in school around the same time as people like david gordon green Dan McBride that, and Jody when, Hill. When you when you start looking into it, man. Yeah, UNC it's School of Arts is kind of wild. How many people have yeah. come through it? You know, who else doesn't doesn't get obviously a lot younger. Doesn't get looped into that. Yeah, the David Gordon Green, um, Jody mm-hmm. Hill, uh, Dan McBride group, but um, uh, Lucas Hedges went to UNC oh, is School he, of is Arts. He, is he a North Carolina guy? I don't I don't think originally, but he went to UNC School of Arts. Another guy too is Craig Sobel. Mm-hmm uh from uh he did leftovers episode but just did uh 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 easttown yeah mayor of easttown um he he went to school along with these guys and i think he worked on george washington and uh, all the real girls and uh, yeah it's he was this is oval washington all real girls undertow as either co-producer production manager or second unit director so like, all these people are like in the same world at the same time mm-hmm. uh and so Je- I-, I think they were a little bit ahead of nichols but i think they were there at the time and while at school nichols was introduced to the works of several artistic heroes that would inform his storytelling methods uh in terms of film the biggest was terrence malick mm. and nichols says that the school was more of a trade school where they focused more on skill and less on theory but one of the big moments of his college career came when he attended Cannes Film Festival in 2000 for an internship at the American Pavilion. Oh, yeah. I have done that internship. <laughs> <laughs> I was a waiter. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting because he, he talked about like how like he he had like he his mom ran him a tuxedo from Dillard's, uh, and he went to the Palais and 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 Cannes and wore the tux and went to a movie. He was like, this is how movies should be seen. Um, and it's yeah that was his experience and after graduating from school of fine arts in may of 2001 nichols actually decided to move back home to arkansas because he did not have a future film script he could sell or make and he was i think looking at probably people like david gordon green and those filmmakers who were going off and making stuff and he wasn't one of them and while back home he worked at a pizza place in order to make money uh while living i think with his parents he said the first idea for a screenplay he had was about New York mobsters. But when he told his father the story, his dad suggested that he write about a place you know others don't know about. Uh, and that's when he cranked out the script for what would later become Shotgun Stories, much of which he said was written at his father's furniture store in between mattresses, where he like just was <laughs> there doing. Um, after being home in Arkansas for a bit, Nichols said that things were getting dark fast for him. 
Many of his friends were moving to LA and working, but he didn't want to be trapped on a studio lot working as an assistant or doing coffee runs. So he ended up moving to Austin where he worked on a few film sets. Finally, in 2003, he began to have a mantra for himself, make a movie in September, 2004. With money inherited from his grandmother and begged from another one and then received money from other people that loved him, Nichols began to get money to make a feature. When it came to casting the lead role for the movie, Nichols had his eye on an interesting character actor that he had seen in a few supporting roles over the years. The biggest one that happened recently was in a movie called Eight Mile starring Eminem. And that Mm. actor was Michael Shannon. Nichols wanted Shannon for the lead of his his movie of shotgun stories, but he had no idea of how to get a working actor like him for this low budget indie feature. Because at this point, Shannon had become a pretty like a well-respected actor in Chicago, like theater world is what it was. Mm. And he had been doing movies at the time. But I mean, Shannon had been, you know, he was from Groundhog Day on. Groundhog Day. WrestleMania tickets. (laughs) Just solidly making movies. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, but just popping up and stuff. He was in Bad Boys 2 around this time uh, beforehand. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Nichols had no idea how to get in touch with, with Shannon, someone who has an agent. So he reached out to one of his professors from North Carolina, and they were able to get the script to Shannon. After Shannon read the script, he signed on. And then finally, in 2004, they began to shoot Shotgun Stories. Now, Shotgun Stories is about essentially about these three brothers in Arkansas who named son boy and kid very original names they've got, they they've got terrible parents if, if you couldn't tell terrible parents their names. they have t- terrible parents their their father was an alcoholic their mother I think as he said was like just pure evil is basically kind of how he describes his mom is what it is and uh essentially their father dies and their father has been estranged from them for years because the father after the the boys were born he went off went to rehab came out got remarried started a new family lived like a kind of a middle class lifestyle when Miles shan's character's son and his brothers were like on the poor side basically they, they were they were kind of lower in and forgotten about and so when the father dies son and his brothers show up at the funeral and make somewhat of a scene. And that essentially prompts this family feud that's been lingering beneath the surface uh, for, for decades, basically has now come to the forefront and it essentially kind of starts this, this eventually ends up turning into a violent feud between these warring families so you had never seen shotgun stories before literally today um (laughs) what were your thoughts on shotgun stories yeah it's uh, it's very obviously a a jeff nichols movie you know once again this is i consider myself a fan of nichols but it took like this week of sitting down with all of his movies to kind of really wrap my mind around what a jeff nichols movie is yeah. And and I think a lot of it starts here. I I I'm, I I can't really put my finger on. He has a very like naturalistic and subdued way of directing actors. Yeah. And and I can't having seen this one now, I can't tell if that's his style that a style that he brought to it or a style that he developed from working with so many non-actors in this movie. Um because yeah. you can't, you know, a lot of these people are non-actors and they do a good job with his directing style but you can't really go to these kind of people and be like, all right, now cry. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, 
and that's one thing I love about his his continued work with Michael Shannon because Shannon is somebody who can play at eleven, and a lot of directors ask him to play at eleven, and yeah. and I and so I always love to see him in a Jeff Nichols movie because Jeff Nichols just lets him play a human being, which he a lot of times doesn't play in other things. And, and he plays like um, a, he plays like a three. He's like down at a three. Yeah. <laughs> and there is a there is a tenderness to yeah. Michael Shannon, and and especially in two of his like smaller roles, I think that we'll talk about in, in Jeff Nichols films. He's got like a, just a, a real warmth to him, but he does. Um, but yeah, that's that he's, he, I mean, he is just a human being here and, and he matches everyone else that like you, you can watch this movie and go like, Oh, he's the actor out of this group, but he, he, he never feels like he doesn't fit in yeah. um, with everybody else. But yeah, it's, it's a, it, I can, it's interesting that you said Malik was, was involved. It, it does kind of have a kind of, malik feel to it um yeah but yeah it, it's it feels real i can see where people would see this movie and go oh, this you know i need to see more yeah. of this guy because it yeah it does kind of feel like a like a you know yes other people have done rural america we just talked about it with deborah granick um last month but this feels like kind of his version and and i do i think it as well as kind of the the actor's the way that he directs actors that he establishes from now. And I think he also establishes this, this tone for the rest of his movies that is like, um, I don't want to say it's slow, but like he, he, yeah. he's, he's always got time to slow the pacing down no matter what's going on. Yeah. You know, as far as the stories, like when you say this is about like a blood feud between families, yeah. yes, that yeah. happens in the movie, <laughs> but it doesn't, that doesn't kind of give you a good feeling for these like, moments of these very contemplative moments about you know that these brothers sit and have yeah. kind of about life and and a lot of the other his other movies are, are the same way yeah i i going off a little bit of that it's like there is a specificity in in this film and many of his and all of his films basically that like it's it's to the point where it's the dialogue choices mm-hmm. like there is one part i don't know why it hit me it was just how specific the dialogue was where it's like he's talking uh son is talking with one of his brothers and they're talking about how like hey can i can i can i invite the other brother over tonight and he's like yeah just make sure you bring some doritos <laughs> and just hearing him say michael shan say doritos i was like he could have just said chips like he could have easily just said something as broad and general as chips but mm. saying doritos has this like thing where it's like this is something he always asks this is, something that, that, this is their favorite chip to eat. And like, it's like, if you bring any other chip in my house, you're not coming in. It's just the kind of funny part of it. But it's like, it's how specific that is. And in talking to about, another thing that kind of popped in my head too, it's a scene when the two brothers are like at the basketball court and something kind of happens where one's stressed out about something. And one of the, one of the, one of the, uh, the brothers, I think it's boy. Yeah. Boy is like the basketball coach for some kids like in the town but mm-hmm. boy and kid like walk away and like they go and they just to calm them down they're like hey who's the best uh who's the best athlete turned actor who was in a, who, or what's the best performance by an athlete who acted in a film but didn't play an athlete and it's just so like an odd conversation for like these two type of characters to have these rule kind of what mm-hmm. some people would say is redneck characters but they're just like oh well kareem and enter the dragon of course yeah. and then like and charles they just, barkley they just, did a voice charles... for five goes west i was like what, what? <laughs> i didn't even know that i loved that movie when i was a kid <laughs> they're like wilt chamberlain in this movie and you're just like 
these are just guys having a regular conversation and it's but still very specific and very real yeah and, and like son being into card counting like that's that's just yeah. like character flavor Tri- that's not yeah. that, that that's part of his you know kind of moral dilemma through the film but it's not having just seen the card counter like we never <laughs> we never go with him to a casino and he never like loses his life savings on on the cards that's just kind of some flavor to him it's just fun yeah and he goes to tunica and i've been to tunica many times in my life uh i know those people like that I, that's a very true thing and and yeah it's like he loses his wife for a bit nicole um i think it's nicole or might be yeah yeah uh his yeah he lo- yeah he loses his wife because she goes away like because of like oh you're spending too much time at the scene this casino in tunica like um like i can't be with you i'm taking the kids and going away but then like she kind of comes back and there's kind of like some tender moments between them where it's like they're still in love but it's just like this is the thing that he does that we just got we got either get rid of and and move on from but yeah to go off the blood feud thing as he said like it's like it's not it's a violent movie in spots, but it's not like incredibly violent. It's he talked about, I, I heard Nichols talk about how he's like with most movies at that point, violence was almost like an art form. Like it was very over the top and big, but he's like, I've been in a few fights in my life. They're not pretty. Like it's very like ugly and kind of brutal and kind of quick. So it's like, he wanted to make everything quick in this movie in terms of when it came to the violence, it feels like, like if it's if it's a like kid hitting the guy with like a, a like a, a like a, a two by four whatever it was like when he comes up at one point in the movie, um, everything from just the way it's done shot wise visually to that is everything's very specific. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with Miles Shan's character, he he's a very the word that kept coming up to me with this movie and with Take Shelter mostly is this like like he's stoic in some way it's like he's again he's a very quiet character the scene that i think best describes it it's the scene at the funeral when he goes and literally spits on his father's grave (laughs) in front of his entire family and talks about how terrible of a person he was but he does it at like a you have to be quiet to listen to him because he's so soft Mm -hmm. and like i don't care what happened to these to him like he was once a terrible man, always a terrible man type thing. Like you can't change it. That's a great scene. And then it's again to kind of show the, the range of Shannon. We'll talk about that like in a little bit. Compare that to the blow up scene. Take shelter mm-hmm. at the at the end. It's just night and day, both amazing, but both different shades of kind of a southern man in a way. Both of them. I couldn't let you marry this man without saying a few things first. You all are here because you think this was a good man, but he wasn't. Just because you stopped drinking, call yourself Christian, get a new life, start a new family, that that doesn't make you a different man. This is the same man that ran out on us, that left us behind to be raised by a hateful woman. He made like we were never born. That's who this man was. And that's what he's answering for today. Stop! 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 Stop!
So the movie was shot on film, even though it might look digital on the DVD, but Nichols didn't have enough money to print dailies. So they had to shoot the entire movie blind. Wow. So they had no idea what they were getting. He's, the footage just stacked up in his father's furniture store. Finally, he was able to put together an edit, uh, which he then submitted to the Sundance Film Festival, and it was quickly rejected. Uh, Nichols said this broke his heart, uh, but he and his team began submitting it elsewhere and eventually got into several other smaller festivals. The, bigger, the biggest one, however, would be Berlin Ale or Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, Nichols said he attended these festivals all around the world while being broke. When he was at the filmmaker receptions, he would steal food and put it in his pockets before he left so he could have food that night or later the next day. Shotgun Stories was event- would eventually be released on March 26, 2008, a year after it was shown at Berlin and about three and a half years after the film was actually shot. The film would receive praise from most critics, the biggest one being Roger Ebert who gave it four stars and named it as one of the 10 best films of 2008. However, it would only gross $168,000 against its $250,000 budget. Around this time, I guess in that kind of that three and a half year break of like trying to get the movie seen, he had written two other scripts that he wanted to make. He sent them to his buddy, Michael Shannon and asked him to read both of them and tell him which one that he should do first. Shan read them and said that he should make the one called Mud First because he would love to play that role. Um, because the other one he wrote, Take Shelter, was a little too much for a, a indie, a sophomore effort. He thought it would cost too much because it has these sci-fi touches that wouldn't mm. be possible to do on such a small scale. Uh, so he said, do Mud. But Nichols didn't want to tell Shan that he had written the role for Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> After seeing him... Can you guess we saw him in that said, I'm going to write him for mud? We've talked about before. I don't know. John Sales, Lone Star. Lone Star. Okay. Yeah. John Sales, interesting kind of, uh, there's going to be a few yeah, John came Sales up, and came Terrence. Came last month. It's coming back yeah, up this month. Last, you're going to have a few John Sales, Terrence Malick things this episode. Uh, but he didn't think he had the clout to get McConaughey to return his calls. So he picked the other script, and that would be Take Shelter. So take shelter. Uh, I said each one. Thinking about Nichols, that I found interesting in researching him. He's after Shotgun Stories. He kind of took every movie as a way to improve upon something he hadn't done before. So he stated uh, he he always wanted to give himself a challenge with each film. So take shelter. He wanted to write a strong female character, and he wanted to write a film that could attract financiers. So he said Shotgun Stories was for festivals. Take shelter is to attract money. And he wanted to essentially make a genre film. He said he was inspired to do this after seeing Catherine Bigelow's The Hurt Locker. Nichols saw the film as Bigelow's remake of Point Break, but done as an independent film. So he wanted to make Mm. an independent film as a genre film. So, Thomas, what is Take Shelter about? Um, Take Shelter is about a man who has visions of a kind of world ending tornado or just you know his 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 family and his his home being destroyed by the storm and runs his family into debt building like the ultimate uh tornado shelter for it and 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 puts his entire you know his marriage and and his family relationships at risk and his um his job everything at risk to to build this shelter but he is convinced that this storm is coming 
uh, Jessica Chastain uh, plays his wife. Yeah, it's it's a great cast. Again, when you look at this cast, it's like it's it's Chastain, it's Shannon, uh, it's Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum, let's our go. Our boy Shea Wiggum. Um, uh, Ray McKinnon as his brother. I love Ray McKinnon. Who pops up in several of his movies, and then also Katie Mixon, who we also love on the show. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if we if we had to do just like an actor episode for the Southern genre, I, I would have pitched Shea Wiggum. <laughs> For film and TV, basically. Yeah, Cop Car. He's, Cop Car's a good movie. No, yeah, Shea Wiggum's amazing in this movie and pretty much anything he does. So, as we said earlier, Take Shelter was kind of the one that I think, besides Mud, it's like this one hit us hit us hard, I think, both of us, if, that, if I'm not mistaken. Like, this is the one that I think we've talked about a lot, mm-hmm. you and me, like, outside of the show. Um, and I think it... it captures again it captures paranoia so incredibly well even though it doesn't like it, it's you, you don't know like what's happening basically so as thomas says like he's seeing visions of this possible like apocalyptic storm that is going to occur and for a while you're let you like you don't know if he's crazy or if this is actually going to happen that's yeah, kind of yeah. the ambiguity of the entire his, movie his mom is diagnosed schizophrenic and yeah he, it's it happened to her around the same time that around the same age that he is now so it's it that's that's something that's like always on the back of his head and back of his mind yeah, as well and the way he re, the way nichols reveals exposition in this movie i think is is very fascinating because you you get that the mother stuff like as you go on mm-hmm. it's like you don't know anything about his mom until he shows up at his mom's place mm-hmm and you're just like, oh, is she just had an apartment type thing or what's going on? And then you kind of begin to realize, oh, she has like, she has mental illness. And you then soon learn to believe like she's a schizophrenic and that she was taken from from the family when he was a child. And that's always like lingered in his mind the in his entire life. And like you said, it's like, is it going to happen to me? And now he's trying to figure out like is it happening to him? And what's interesting too, I read up that Michael Shannon didn't research mental illness for the movie because he wanted to be like the character and not know anything about it. So he's like asking questions about like to his mom or to people like what, like what is wrong with me? Can I just take pills and be done with it type thing? And, and that feels like a very Southern thing, like especially Southern male thing. Like, can I just get this over with and like not have to like talk about feelings and do this stuff and try to figure it out? Like, I just want to like, give me a pill and I'm done. And I think this movie can't like Nichols. A lot of his films, you're going to see kind of this running theme of like masculinity and like the Southern male or Southern Mm -hmm. family man or Southern man in his films. And that's very present, probably the most present in take shelter. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got this in, in all his films. There's this kind of like, I, I can provide for my family myself. I don't need any help. And, most of the movies that's not true <laughs> said here that your mother was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in her 30s and you're at 35 you want to talk about that yeah i don't know my mother's symptoms i was just 10. my brother was 17. I don't know, she just left me in the car in the uh, 
parking lot at the grocery store one day and she didn't come back. And then they found her a week later eating trash out of a dumpster in Northern Kentucky. My dad had to put her in the state hospital in Columbus. And she's been in assisted living ever since. Yep. My dad raised me. He died last April. And what I found interesting about this movie that I didn't remember in the moment when I watched the first time is this is a this is an economic like this is the like a uh, this is the recession. Mm-hmm. This is a recession movie. Oh yeah. Like it's always in the background. It's like he's taken out a loan. Um, he's there. They have uh, they're having to the deal with their copay and their insurance. Yeah, and he's gonna lose his benefits. Like he's gonna lose yeah. his benefits if he if he gets fired. Like. It's like they're having to plan out things because of like everything that's happened financial wise. Like, oh, they're like, oh, you're doing this in this economy. It's like kind of like what everyone says when he's like building the 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 uh, the shelter. It's like that's always kind of there. And I didn't pick that up the first time I watched it because I was younger and not fully in uh, the economic crisis because uh, I was in college. But it's like I knew it was happening. But now, like, oh yeah, this is like this is looking back on it now, you realize how bad it was in america and this is just kind of showcasing that in like the smaller kind of landscape of what a regular person was dealing with during that time or any scenes that you thought that you saw that you wanted to i mean the moment that sticks out to me i don't i don't want to spoil too much in like one of these episodes but but yeah there's a moment when they have had to go into the shelter and and it's and it's time to come out and he you know he's, he's he's he spent this whole movie like getting his family ready like like and trying to talk people into the use of the shelter and and there's this moment of like now that they're in it you really don't know if he's ever if he's gonna let them leave um and it but between both of them is played incredibly it is it is because it's the like she's like take off the mask is kind of what it's through there and Mm -hmm. like like oxygen mask everyone has such beautiful moments in this movie that like people probably thought was a sci-fi thriller but it's like it's about so much more like there's so much in this movie if it's about marriage and relationships and uh uh economic economic problems financial problems uh family problems mental illness like it deals with so much and it's like oh yeah there's a little bit of sci-fi there too or not sci-fi but like like thriller elements essentially and i i think it's i think it's a fascinating film and i think it's the one I, I think it's going to be one of the more challenging, like more intellectual and challenging for people. Uh, but I think it's the one that will hold up maybe the most out of all of his films so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's got an ending that sticks with you for sure. Yeah. Like the ending, I still, like, again, I said, I've seen this movie one time before this episode and I still vividly remember the ending. I remember kind of the Shan's blow up. I remember so much about the movie that like it's everything sticks with you. I said, what are you doing here? I told people what you've been doing. I know. You cut me loose. Everything we've been through. I know. I'm sorry. Hey, hey. Ain't fucking sorry. Hey. All right. Ain't fucking sorry. You sorry you wouldn't have cut me loose? We're fucking friends. That's how you treat friends. Oh, God damn it. 
you have ever seen, and not a one of you is prepared for it. So the aftermath of Take Shelter, the film, like Shotgun Stories, would be a critical success. It was shown at Sundance, and it can. Uh, the film, however, would only gross $5 million against a $4.75 million budget. So not great financially. Uh, after two critically successful films, Nichols apparently was offered to direct a reboot of a popular 80s horror film. He didn't specifically say which one it was, but he would eventually pass on it. Because he felt like if I do this, like if I do the whole one for me, one for you type thing this early, it would like hurt his career in some way. So in walks this specific person for the film Take Shelter, Nichols would befriend a producer by the name of Sarah Green. Now, Green had been working since the 1990s when she produced three films for John Sales and <laughs> several, several films for David Mamet. But she also produced a few films by some people we have covered on the show recently. She produced Kusama's Girl Fight and Julie Taymor's Frida. Sarah Green uh, would be a good person to partner with for Nichols because she was also the producer for Terrence Malick. She had started producing his film since The New World and did it until Song to Song is what it was. Mm. After reading both scripts of Take Shelter and Mud, she said she would do whatever he wanted on Take Shelter, like be a friend, be a kind of a helper as an executive producer. But when it came to Mud, she said, I want Mud, Mud is mine. <laughs> when going to financiers, several balked at Nichols wanting to make an obscure indie film with the actor no one cared about anymore. And of course, that actor was Matthew McConaughey. But Due to McConaughey's kind of star power overseas and the star power of Reese Witherspoon, another name that had recently been relegated to the rom-com world, Mudd was able to get pre-sales fairly quickly because of the work done by his producers like Sarah Green. And Mudd is kind of a, what people kind of compare it to is a, is a Mark Twain retelling of these two young kids who live in Arkansas off the, on the Mississippi River and they find a boat on the small island off the river that's in the trees. It's the folklore of this boat in the trees. And they go there to kind of uh, to, to, to explore and find it. And they wander upon this kind of literary-like character by the name of Mud, played by Matthew McConaughey. And Mud is a, is a weary traveler who is holed up there on this boat in the trees waiting for his girlfriend... Uh, Juniper, played by uh, Reese Witherspoon, to come and find him, and they can run off and like live a happy life together. And Mud, as we said, stars McConaughey, Reese Witherspoon, Ty Sheridan as Ellis, the boy, the main boy of the story. Uh, Sam Shepard, the first collaboration with Sam Shepard uh, for Nichols. Another Malik tie there. Another Malik tie. Yep. Uh, Ray McKinnon, who plays uh, Ty Sheridan's father, another reoccurring collaborator with Jeff Nichols. Also, Sarah Paulson pops up in this movie. I forgot Sarah Paulson was in this film. Mm -hmm. So what were your thoughts when rewatching Mud this time? Yeah, it, it was just as kind of delightful as I, as I remembered it. Um, yeah. I, I just, I really liked the energy in this movie. Um, and, and I think everyone's given a chance to shine. And, and like I said, with, with Nichols, like no one's hamming it up, no. um, which is something I, I, I really like in, in his in his work um ty sheridan is someone i have mixed feelings about as an adult but he damn it if he wasn't a great child actor <laughs> um 
but McConaughey's great in this. It's it's so fun to kind of revisit the McConaissance. And this is this is it'd be so easy to go like, oh, he's playing like a southern kook. Like this is just like True Detective, but it's like this not, yeah. mud, mud and and rust and and Killer Joe are like so different as far as characters. It really makes you appreciate uh, his performance as well. Well, I said early on, it's like talking about the storytelling gene of some kind. I think mud is like a born storyteller in some way mm-hmm. it's like it's it's his he has his it's like the superstitious like like his his superstitions always has a story to go with his superstition of like you don't want this to happen because this will happen like put this around the this this rope this braided rope around the bed so snakes don't come and get you like mm-hmm. he has a belief system that he solely believes in and in some cases it works for him in some cases it's like the moment when like a little bit of a spoiler but the snake bite happens and he just like goes and like this is how it's supposed to be and he's like with the marker and tracking how long it's been and doing like seeing how long it's going to be uh for for Ellis after the snake bite and it's just again this is the movie that like, I I when I see it I was like this is the one I relate to like the most in terms of like the town I didn't grow up on the river like these characters but like the ta- like the hangouts when the, when 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 Ellis Ty Sheeran is like going to see like the 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 girl he's kind of in love with um May Pearl very mm-hmm. southern name at like the burger joint and like going to the party like that feels all very relatable and realistic if you if you're a, a guy who grew up in the south it feels like you mentioned earlier we were talking about themes something that kind of came over from the texas themes is like the ties to the land yeah in the southern films and this is one of at least three of his movies where like someone's at risk of losing their house like yeah that that's like home and ownership and land and like having something to your name and especially having it kind of tie back to previous generations is is very important in his movies this one specifically is a a houseboat that they live in that they're yeah the the government they're they're finding out the government is coming down it's not necessarily legally docked houseboat on this river kind of out in the middle of nowhere and they've they've kind of heard that the government is coming to make everybody tear up these houseboats well basically what it sounds like it's like it's it's almost like uh the people who live there have been like grandfathered and they could stay there but they mm-hmm. can't switch the house over to someone and so right. it's kind of the, the 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 conflict is that again this kind of marriage conflict that's also popping up in a lot of his movies um is that uh sarah paulson and ray mckinnon like wanted to get a divorce or, or sarah paulson wants to get a divorce move off the river Cause she grew up in the house. It was her father's house. She's like, I want to get out of this place. I want to go. So I want to go live in the city. I want to get away. And McKinnon's like, well, I've always like, this is where I want to live type thing. And this is where Ty Sheridan wants to live. And so it's like, if she moves, she can't like put it in like McKinnon's name. It's mm-hmm. just going to be torn down. So that's kind of the conflict. Like, if they move, this house is gone. And it's just like changing of the time. It's like, we're forgetting the past, the past and beyond the river is going to keep flowing, but all this stuff's going to be gone. Um, and you're just like waiting for these people to move or die off essentially to tear all these houses down. And Sam Shepard is kind of like the relic of the past in the way as uh, as Tom. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's almost like uh, not fully comparison, but like he's kind of Sam the lion from last picture show a little bit in terms of yeah. just like symbolism is this like guy of the old, older time, older era that's still there, like living a life. And what I love about this movie that I noticed this time, and I talked to a friend of mine about this because he brought it up to me before I rewatched it, 
it, it's a coming of age movie for for Sheridan for Ellis uh for Ty Sheridan's character Ellis but it's also a coming of age movie for Mud. Mm-hmm. Like Mud's kind of like a grown man who never grew up. And like it's an interesting kind of a view of like love and relationships because like Mud's still in that mindset that like Ju- like Juniper's the girl that he fell in love with when he was like 11 years old after his snake bite. And he always views her as views her as that. But they never like he doesn't know what they're going to do with their lives. It's like, he has this fairy tale idea, but it's not realistic. Like they're not like, he wants to like get on the boat and drive away down to the Gulf of Mexico and like live a life on the, on the ocean. It's like, it's the scene when like, when Juniper's talking to Ellis and she's like, what's he want to do next? Like where we're going to go. He's like, Oh, I don't know. He has a plan. She goes just like mud. That's the way he always is. Like, that's what like mm-hmm. makes her go off to another guy is because mud is this fantasy. Mud lives in this fantasy world of like how it would be when he was a kid and she's kind of moving on having her own life outside of outside of the story really too um and ellis is ellis has those same kind of ideals that mud has but he's his story also kind of helps him like not get his heart fully broken because he's happening so young does that make sense Mm -hmm. with the may pearl character um but yeah so do you have a favorite scene or some favorite scenes this movie in mud um honestly anything with ray mckinnon in this in this he one. is great again talking about like quiet southern man i i have always i've always had a heart, soft spot in my heart for ray mckinnon as a deadwood fan he is fantastic in deadwood and um yeah his just kind of his arc in this movie as well it's, it's kind of a coming of age for him too yeah he yeah. uh you know we're introduced to him as like arguing with sarah paulson and he's just kind of like anytime he talks to ellis about it he's like you're it's this is all your mom's fault she's trying to ruin my life and um kind of finally kind of comes to recognize that she's her own person and she has to make your decisions and maybe he wasn't the best husband um but then there's a there's a great scene i think when after the snake bite when kind of the two of them are kind of united out of their concern for ellis and and you really yeah. see him kind of like a tenderness in him for the first time and yeah. and and that you know what happened to ellis i think does kind of like shake him back into out of his like woe is me bitterness yeah but um yeah he's 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 great through the whole thing yeah and they have a great kind of ending moment together like in the truck or whatever mm-hmm. at the end i think yeah and, and it's like he always and what nichols does and i heard him talk about this in an interview about this movie like he has the moment where like McKinnon comes, comes in, it's like upset with, uh, mm-hmm. Ty Sh- Ellis for stealing the, the, the motor or mm-hmm. the engine on, on the boat. And Nicholas talked about how it could turn into like the typical, like Southern stereotype, like abusive father, alcoholic father who like hits the son, hits the wife, but it ends with like this, like him quiet and reflective moment and thinking about his failures as a man, as mm-hmm. a husband, as a father, as a person. Like, it's like, it's a sombering kind of moment at the end yeah. there. And it's just kind of like, whatever you want to do, do it. Cause he's, he's now contemplating everything he's done in his life. And yeah, it is kind of a coming of age. It's kind of a coming of age for everyone involved <laughs> in a way, <laughs> even Sarah Paulson to a degree is that she wants to get out get out of the, her childhood home and move into the city. Even if it's just an apartment and like have that life, it's all, all, all that. Oh, I do have to throw out Michael Shannon is it's so great. much fun. In this he is. Role. He's uh he's, he's neck bone. Ellis's best friends, like yeah. uncle who uncle. raised him. 
And, and there's always this thing when Michael, Shannon, even though I know that Jeff Nichols wouldn't do him like that. Anytime Michael Shannon shows up in a movie, you're like, is he going to be scary? And like, yeah. he's just this like goofy guy. It's just like, it honestly is one of the best depictions I think of like a mid thirties guy who has had like <laughs> his nephew, you know, his nephew has been kind of shoved upon him. He's, he's yeah. raised neck bone who was orphaned and he's just a good dude. He's kind of goofy. He's kind of like, you know peter pan syndrome or whatever but he's he's trying yeah. his best they've got that there's this moment when he like sees them with mud and you think like oh something's gonna happen here and then he just kind of asks neckbone he's like hey is anything anything bad going on i need to know about yeah. neckbone's like nah and he's like all right well you can tell me if it is because like, what's well, so funny with, with shans like yeah he's a treasure hunter that like just like digs the mississippi river and mm-hmm. his like makeshift scuba diving like outfit basically yeah he's got that great he's got that great monologue where he's like look at that ceiling fan i found that on the river <laughs> like, <laughs> river's giving me a lot of good stuff in my life like that years, ceiling yeah. fan. he's never menacing to to ellis he's never like you think when he see because he's when he sees mud and like say so he doesn't like get upset with neck bone he doesn't like go after mud he's just like we'll talk about it if something's going on you tell me um but yeah michael shannon uh do you know what he was also shooting at this time that made this, this movie almost impossible. This Boardwalk Empire? No. Era? Man of Steel, where he plays Zod. Oh, yeah, he's Zod. That, he, he was I feel like, Zod. I mean, I feel like Take Shelter, Boardwalk Empire, like, made him a name. Like, at least yeah. for people who, like, read the trades. That that was, even though I didn't see Take Shelter at the time, I was like, oh, that's Michael Shannon. Um, but, yeah, I think it was probably Superman that, that made him, you know, recognizable. Yeah. The person that was... And talks the lead role of Mud before McConaughey, Chris Pine. Ah, would have gotten his Hell or High Water out a little bit earlier. Yeah, earlier. It would have been a younger character is what it would have been. I think he would be good in a role like this. I don't yeah. know if he'd be better than McConaughey in this role, but I could see that train of thought with that casting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I want to I briefly talk about Reese Witherspoon here because I think, because everyone gives this as like, it's the McConaissance, but Withers, it's also kind of, the beginning of her renaissance yeah, as well yeah. I, I was telling i was i was talking about this movie yesterday and i said you know everyone says like true detective is the reconnaissance and wild is the renaissance but i yeah. think i think mud, mud, for mud both predates of both of those yeah yeah i think mud set them up to be able to do those which are the one the like starring roles that that yeah. made everybody go oh they're back and i've read a couple interviews about how like reese witherspoon was like nichols loved working with her because she was just like i don't want to dis- distract from your movie because she was a star mm-hmm. she's like i want to do whatever she he's like i want to put you in like tattoos and and like kind of like like the like redneck kind of clothes or whatever and i just want you to do that and she's like perfect i'll do it and like and what i think what she was so interested about is that like juniper kind of has her own little world mm-hmm. like we're not we never really see juniper outside the eyes of ellis or mud does that make sense? It's pretty much like yeah. we're all, we're mostly always like seeing for their perspective. Like like when like for example, when they go and find her at a bar, I won't say when or what happens, but like when they go and find her at a bar, you have easily had where you showed her at a bar beforehand, mm-hmm. but instead you only see it through the eyes of Ellis that time. Yeah. So it's it's also I, I I'm reminded a little bit of To Kill a Mockingbird in that way because we talked about how like it's always through Scout's eyes that we're seeing everything. And this is very similar of how we're always seeing things through Ellis or Neckbone's eyes, essentially mm-hmm. more Ellis. Neckbone is the dill of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. But no, yeah, I just McConaughey's so great in this movie. Like, it's just he's 
so many dialogue like just the, the like like southern sayings that you hear come out of mud's mouth like it just works on mcconaughey oh, like you said two like, things that protect me my shirt and this pistol oh i love the part when like he gives the pistol because the, the, there's like the promise of the pistol to neckbone and then he's just like where are the bullets he goes deal wasn't for the bullets just the pistol that's a, that's a nice <laughs> moment that makes you go like okay maybe mud does recognize he's dealing with children and you yes, can't treat yes. them completely like equals i don't know if mud's his best film but i think it's his most accessible film mm-hmm. like I think this is the one if you're gonna start anywhere you start with mud because it could be either your favorite of his movies or it's just a great kind of intro to the world that nichols is creating in all of his films yeah of like this tradition like what i liked about the video i i sent it's like a this interview with wired he talked about how like when he's like he wanted to specifically make southern films and he wanted to make sure it wasn't cliche like he's like anytime he's like, i never wanted to use banjo in the score i never wanted to have like thick accents because if i if i heard someone trying to put on an accent i crush it down it needed to all be like realistic to the area and to the people how'd you meet her we grew up together. You love her? I do. First time I saw her was on this river, stuff from here. She saved my life. When the snake bite? Mm-hmm. I was younger than you are right now. When I came to in the hospital and she was there, it was like the whole world just split wide open and come back together new. I knew from then on I'd do anything for her. Once Mud was completed, they began looking for distribution. It premiered at Cannes in 2012, but no one wanted to buy it. Nichols would recall a horrible buyer screening that happened at Cannes where several buyers walked out of the movie as it was going on, including, and thank God he didn't purchase it, Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, uh, good. Walked out, walked out an hour into it. Uh, Nichols said, I didn't know it, but my film was tanking. It was dying. The film would then sit in purgatory for about a year before finally being picked up by Lionsgate and Roadside Attractions. However, they would put very little money into marketing the film. It seems the marketing budget was probably somewhere between $3 million to $5 million, according to interviews and mathematics, which is very small for a film with such big actors, even for the people who are kind of like the lower end at this point. Um, and the budget price of the movie was $10 million. So usually marketing is about the same as your production budget, mm-hmm. and this was half if, at best. The film would finally be released on April 26, 2013, almost a year after its Cannes premiere. And the film would actually overperform at the box office, grossing $32.6 million. It was also a hit with critics and would receive the Robert Altman Award at the Independent Spirit Awards, along with several other nominations. As I said, the film film also would help continue the narrative of the Matthew McConaughey comeback as an actor, but it would also... Uh, make studios pay attention to Jeff Nichols as a director. Mm-hmm. During the distribution purgatory of Mud, Nichols began writing a sci-fi film, and he said as he was writing the sci-fi film that he wanted to make for a mainstream audience, he still had like he basically said it was a screw you to everyone. 
He said, like, you don't like that my movies are slow? Cool, I'm going to make this even slower. Or, like, I wanna, or you don't like that my movies don't have any information in it? Cool, I'm going to give you any information. He was, like, he said he was in a very dark place, basically. And he just, like, Midnight Special was this. It was this amb- ambiguous, <laughs> ambitious sci-fi film uh, that he was going to make. So after finishing the script and Mud's release, Nichols could have easily started a bidding war for Midnight Special. Because it's like he could either went and made an indie film, or he could have went and like to basically every studio. Here's this like original sci-fi film with great parts for great actors. But he wanted to do a studio film. Nichols wanted to make a film that was mainstream audiences for mainstream audiences, while also still having the same artistic qualities of his earlier films. He chose to go to one studio, and one studio only, Warner Brothers. Hey. He said that he went to Warner Brothers. Just wait for this ironic. These are ironic statements here. He said he went to Warner Brothers because they made smart fanboy films and had great relationships with filmmakers that he admired, like Clint Eastwood, Ben Affleck, and Christopher Nolan. Wow. (laughs) I have times have changed. They blew both Uh, of those things. (laughs) Nichols didn't think they would be interested, but Jeff Robinoff, not Jeff Robinov, one of the head production executives at Warner Brothers, saw Mud and loved it. He won Nichols at Warner Brothers, like, immediately. Nichols flew to L.A. from Austin for one day to talk to Romanov about the movie. He said he had two conditions. Michael Shannon and final cut of his movie. Those are great conditions. Yeah, and final cut, for those who don't know, it's, like, basically it's the director who, like, they control the final film of their movie. It's almost rare nowadays because studios have so much control over the films. But if you're a big-time director, if you're a Spielberg or Tarantino or Scorsese... You have Final Cut. With Nichols, it seems odd just because he was a young director and this is his first big shot. Uh, when Romanov asked him how much he thought the movie would cost, Nichols blur- blurted out, $18 million. Romanov said he could make that movie for $18 million. He would even bump it up to $20 million if he needed to, and he could have Final Cut. Now, during the, his career up to this point, Nichols had been starting a family with his wife, Missy. It seems Missy is kind of the unsung hero of Nichols' career because during his his filmmaking career, she was the one working and consistently bringing money for the family. Nichols would do temp work at an ad agency in in Austin during his breaks from filming, but Missy continued working at the Texas Monthly, a job she held for 19 years. With the Warner Brothers deal made, they decided it would be best for her to quit and take some time off to spend with their two-year-old son because they now had financial stability. The day she quit and was saying her goodbyes to her her uh, her staff and people that she worked with, Nichols got an email that Robinov, the man who brought him to Warner Brothers, had been fired. Uh, <laughs> that's the and uh, Missy said that she would she would beg to get her job back or go somewhere else, but Nichols said they would write it out and hope everything would be okay. He would later said he goes, "I was shitting my pants." <laughs> so the worry was that the movie's gonna be put in turnaround and that it would be canceled and that financial stability they had would be gone. But Midnight Special still went forward at Warner Brothers. And while that $20 million doesn't seem like a lot for its subject matter and cast, it was more money than any, or more money than Nichols' previous three films combined. Mm-hmm. The film began production in New Orleans on, in, March 24, in March 2014. Now, Thomas, what is Midnight Special about? <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know how much we want to, some of it's kind of spoilery in here, but. Yeah. Um, Midnight Special is about a man played by Michael Shannon and his friend played by Joel Edgerton who have broken 
Michael Shannon's son out of a a cult. Yeah. Led by Sam Shepard that had come to view whether correctly or not Michael Shannon's son as an oracle, a second coming, I don't know, yes. this like yeah, yeah. mystical religious figure. And Michael Shannon is just trying to keep his son safe. Wanted to get him out yeah. of the cult. The the son's mother played by kirsten dunce has already kind of left and so he took yeah the kid also the kid first time i ever saw him anything but went on to be Jaden Jaden martell is is he credited as something different in this one he's he's Jaden martell now but i think i don't think he had his like stage oh, name Jaden lever lever her yeah. lever her but yeah. now he goes by Jaden martell but yeah and and there's a cop uh what what agency is he from i can't remember which agency he's from oh with, with driver yeah N- nsa 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 yeah, i was gonna say yeah. fbi but i couldn't remember but yeah adam driver yeah. is kind of on the trail um paul, paul sevier is his name but yeah i don't know if we want to go into you know yeah basically who, yeah basically, his theories are correct or not but paul sevier sees that in in the speeches in, in the in the sermons that sam shepherd pastor calvin says they're they're like possibly encoded messages um like how like basically encoded messages from like u.s satellites mm-hmm. and he, and he's basically sevier's like a decoder of some kind and so he wants to know why um there are hidden messages in the sermons and calvin's like oh they come from the boy and it's interesting nicholas said he goes the movie has awe but it doesn't have wonderment and i would agree with that statement there's a mm-hmm. lot of awe but it doesn't fully go into Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is what this movie gets compared to a lot, because there's not that Spielberg wonderment. Um, so I don't know if it, I don't think it's fair to say this movie is Spielberg. It's Spielbergian to an extent in terms of visuals, maybe. Um, but no, not- there, there there is this kind of like, and 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 we've said this with his other films. This is obviously the f- only one that deals with this kind of subject matter. But there's this kind of matter of factness to it. Like, yeah, yes, it is a sci-fi film, but that's. It is about a, a man protecting his family. Period, and and it uh, is almost like it feels like his character, Michael Shannon's character, and also the movie itself is like I don't have time to like sit and ponder the complexities of what's going on around me. I have yeah. to protect my son. Period. Yeah. Period. And so there's a lot of information left for you just to kind of like infer. So the email this movie I love, I, what I think is so memorable is the opening of this film. The opening of this film, I think, is amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like they're in the motel. Um, it starts off with the shot of like the taped up eye hole in the motel. And Jill Egerton like looks out and they like, basically get in the car and there, there's Amber Alert for for his for, for the voice character and that he's being abducted by this man who's by Michael Shannon that you don't know is the father yet, I don't think. And they're driving and they drive without headlights on. And Edgerton's using uh, like night vision goggles to drive. It's such a like memorable and interesting opening that like mm-hmm. I forgot some of the stuff in this movie after after watching it the first time. But that has always stuck with me is that opening. Yeah, and they drop it. They drop you into it in a way that's just like, okay, this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah you, you, you start you, in the middle. You start in the middle of the movie. It feels like, mm-hmm. like, and you're playing catch up the rest of the time. And some might like that. Some might not like that. Um, I think I read him. I read that he said that like with Midnight Special, he cut off the beginning and ending, mm-hmm. and it's just middle, basically. Yeah, 
and he said this is interesting he goes yeah he goes yeah i don't i don't really like endings so i don't really like care about that that's why they're always ambiguous kind of in his movies he doesn't really think they're important it's more about capturing a feeling for you as an audience member which i think all of his films do do that Mm -hmm. they all capture some sort of feeling so do you have a favorite scene in midnight special or favorite thing about midnight special i think this is just kind of speaking overall i think this is the best cast that he's yeah that he's put together um yes it's yeah it's pretty incredible and this was also you know talking about the reconnaissance before this one because i saw this one pretty i didn't see it in theaters but i saw it pretty soon after it dropped on dvd and this one felt like very much like we were watching the rise of adam driver happening live like i remember watching this one and being like okay all right this is that guy was this this was before star wars after so here's here's it's before so the first day of shooting for midnight special was the day he got kylo ren on star wars yeah so you're literally watching him as a guy who's about to be in Star Wars. I did not watch Girls, so I remember like people being like, "All right, he's he, this guy got cast in Star Wars. He's like on his way up." So this was one I remember watching, be like, "Oh, okay, this this is the guy that is about to be the hot new thing." I mean, he's done the so to to bring it back. He's and I don't know if this is him or just t- perfect timing with this. Like Driver in this, Jessica Chastain in mm-hmm. Take Shelter, 2011 was her huge year she was in she was in seven movies in 2011 seven um and then it's also like even michael shannon to an extent with shotgun stories and take shelter it's like he's in these movies he just times out perfectly like right that right when they're about to rise up he gets him in a movie i think even to an extent like ruth nega and uh loving is that way too she was like in preacher at that point um but yeah driver I like Driver in this movie. He kind of disappears as the movie goes on at mm-hmm. one point. Um, but I like him in this film. I mean, yeah, I agree. I, 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 this might be his weakest film to me. Yeah, it's not my favorite. But it is a great cast, and I think they all have great moments. But I think it's, it's his most challenging film for, for mm-hmm. an audience member. I think this is the one... I don't know if also this is the last one you should watch, but I think this is the one where like maybe in the middle of your watches. Um, I'm just saying, if you loved Mud, you might not necessarily love this one. Yeah. Maybe watch Take Shelter first and see. Yeah. How that yeah. one hits you. Yeah, I think this is the one that I know people who love Jeff Nichols who are like, I don't like this movie, but I I like this movie. I don't love this movie. I liked it more the first time than this rewatch. This rewatch mm. kind of went down for me a little bit. I was big on on that first on that first watch, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think I agree. He he has again with all his music. He had this running theme of like the southern man kind of character of the taking care of the family or the taking care of the finance like the financial stuff. But so with this, like you said, it's like it's just like trying to protect his son. But it's done as like a chase movie, as a sci fi chase movie, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but all around great great cast. It came from the boy. It's all from the boy, Altmar. Yes. Okay, well, we knew that. He's your son? Adopted. Do you know the birth father? Yes, I do. Roy Tomlin. So can you tell us how an eight-year-old got this information? He would have fits. 
Can you explain that? You speak in tongues. Sometimes other languages, sometimes unknown languages. We wrote them down, they became our scripture. These are words of the Lord. Or the federal government. What's the significance of Friday, March 6th? We need to know where he is. You all have no clue what you're dealing with, do you? So aftermath, after the film wrapped, the post-production process for Midnight Special began. When reading up on this, when I'm kind of researching for this, there were so many in-depth articles and interviews with Nichols during this time because this movie was being seen as the movie that will break Nichols out to the mainstream audiences. Right. Nichols said, I never wanted to make movies just for me. I wanted to make pe- movies that people watch. And even with this film being very abnormal for mainstream fare, he hoped this would land with a wider audience after the low box office numbers of his previous films. The film was originally to be released around the Thanksgiving holiday of 2015, but would eventually be postponed until March 18th, 2016. The film was met with critical praise, many calling it a reminder of early Spielberg films like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. However, the film would not hit large with uh, not hit with large audiences, only grossing six point seven million dollars against its reported eighteen million or twenty million dollar budget. Oof! So not not great. Yeah. Uh, it's currently his second lowest grossing film ahead of Shotgun Stories. While Midnight Special set dormant at Warner Brothers for that year, Nichols didn't waste any time in writing and directing his next movie. If Midnight Special was created to attract mainstream audiences, Loving was created to attract prestige and awards. But Nichols had been in development for this film Loving since the completion of Take Shelter. After seeing Take Shelter and the relationship of Shannon and Chastain, producers of Loving, which included, by the way, I don't know if you noticed this. You see who was on the producing team for Uh, Loving? I don't think so. Colin Firth. Oh, I didn't see that. No. Yeah, Oscar Oscar-winning actor Colin Firth approached Nichols about making this film. Nichols would then dive into research for the film, visiting the state of Virginia, which is where the movie takes place, and meeting with Loving, the Loving's last surviving child, Peggy Loving. So, Loving is about essentially about the the Supreme Court case that happened between the Loving couple, uh, Mildred and Richard Loving, who Richard being a white man, Mildred being a black woman in the state of Virginia. They get married, which is against the law in the, in, in the, in the Virginia at the time they go to DC, get married, come back. And essentially they are arrested for anti miscegenation laws. Um, and essentially it vi- interracial marriage is a violation of the law. So they are arrested, put in jail. They plead guilty, move to DC and kind of just have a life there. And then finally, they just, it's the whole journey about them trying to get back to Virginia and be claimed as a actual married couple in their home state of Virginia. And mm-hmm. it's basically about the court case that leads up to the big Supreme Court case um, with the Loving family. So had you ever seen this one before? I had not seen this one. Yeah, this one. This one escaped me that kind of Oscar season um, had it on my list was very excited for it and then kind of slipped away. Yeah. And it felt like one of those kind of Oscar movies where I was like, well, I didn't see it before the Oscars. Probably not going to see it. It got one. Yeah. I got one nomination uh, for Ruth Nega as, uh, as Mildred. Um, yeah. So it kind of slipped 
uh, slipped between the cracks. So what did you think about watching it this time or watching it? Yeah, it was great. It was, you know, I kind of had, I think, kind of subconsciously part of the reason I was avoiding it was because I thought it was going to be melodramatic. And yeah. I should have known <laughs> knowing him that it wouldn't be. And, I, and I, I, I really loved kind of the energy of it especially i think the the intro to it is so oh, well done yeah because i i looked up some interviews with with um the lovings after i watched this and the way kind of both of them speak about it they they both grew up in this very kind of blended community as far yeah. as virginia goes for the 40s and 50s um and so n- neither of them it had never even like crossed their minds yeah. That this would be an issue because and 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 i like the way he does that in the movie like you don't have before they go you know it's just about them yeah falling in love and getting married and you don't have somebody going this is this is never gonna work you're you're white and she's black that, yeah that all comes afterwards like yeah later it all comes on. afterwards but the 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 way that he just kind of peppers it with a little bit there's that moment when his mom says like the the deputy came looking for you and he's like you can kind of he, he he looks a little shocked like why would the deputy be looking for me but he's like you didn't you didn't tell him where i am did you we're kind of in this kind of blissful ignorance with them yeah. until that moment when the cops kick the door in and arrest them and that that whole like kind of first 20 minutes is so well done in his same style of like it's never feels overly dramatic or anything yeah the opening the opening sync is it's with them it's with richard and mildred when she tells them that she's pregnant mm-hmm. is the opening it reminds me a little bit of all the, all the real girls by david gordon green where you just kind of start off in this moment of like pure love mm-hmm. and jill egerton i think Negan and egerton are amazing in this movie i think she's amazing but i think he was overlooked a lot of the time by how good he is in this movie because mm-hmm. his character is so understated and when watching this, like the things that he does, even the clothes he wears, I was like, oh, this is my grandfather. Like this yeah. is like, this is someone I know. And I, this is yeah. And his the way he depicts him, the way he plays him as this man who is it's very, very Southern, very familiar with this as this man yes. who is like does not want to talk about his feelings, does not want help from anyone. He just oh, wants man. to be with his family and, and work and that's it like that's all he wants yeah. to do and he captures yeah. that perfectly beautifully and he's like i said very man of few words is what he is and it's like i think of the two moments at the end i don't want to sprawl too much but it's like what he tells the lawyer mm-hmm. before the supreme court case and then it's the press conference the final press conference they have where he doesn't say anything, but just like it's the first time you see him like um like really emotionally impacted mm-hmm by everything that's happened and i think it's beautiful i think they're great together i think this i'm not saying this is his best film i think this is probably nickel's most well-crafted film mm-hmm. i think it's his most like straightforward film it feels like with as like a biopic in a way and it's love story and i think it's i think it's, I think it's beautifully done from the art direction to the cinematography to the locations they use it's all like inherently southern and of the time of the time period yeah and it's it's got it's 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 a good one for us to kind of end the the month on because it's got like literally everything 
everything we've, except we've like the mysticism about. maybe like, <laughs> it's got you've got racial tensions you've got family tensions that have gone unspoken there's that great scene with his mom oh god where she's like you never should have married that girl and he's like i thought you liked her and he's like she's like i like plenty of people doesn't mean you gotta marry them but it's just this like mom is like i'm gonna say this once i disapprove of the situation you're in and then we're gonna drop it and then we're just yeah. gonna keep on going on and it's got this family importance of family the importance of you know land this this field next to her house that he wants to build on the you know county this town the state they grew up in um all that uh -huh. kind of stuff is involved and and this i think there's a lot of ideas of this kind of like what it means to be the kind of this southern like specifically bill camp's character someone yeah. who kind of openly does not approve of them of what they're doing mm -hmm. but but is going to stick his neck out for them once just because it's the right thing to do you know that that kind of and then he's like i'm not gonna do this again i just felt like this is what i needed to do like that's there, there's something that feels very very southern about that yeah i did it you asked me never again never again don't ask me again yeah this movie it, it's just a very again like you say, it, it kind of covers all the bait topics pretty straightforward um with everything i love the scene to go with this kind of idea of like tied to the, the land i love or the kind of moment when she's like when they're in the bed this intimate moment where she's like i want to like your mom to like birth the baby mm -hmm. and it's this idea of like the family being there for this moment at their in their home state she's born a virginian basically uh or he's born a virginian is the, the first son um and that's very important to like to ruth Neg to mildred mildred mm -hmm. loving um and yeah to go into performances you, you mentioned him earlier and this is the one thing you're talking about he did it in mud but michael shannon in this movie is <laughs> like three is like three or four scenes i was i was one, waiting one on him to sequence. show up i was waiting on him to show up and i could not have been happier he's so good he's so good in this one it's it's a be his his one moment the one of my favorite moments in the movie is when they're in the living room and they're watching Andy Griffith mm -hmm. and Jill Edgerton's like they're sitting, uh, uh, Mildred and, and, and Richard are sitting together and, and Richard uh, uh, lays like on her lap and Shannon's look of just like watching them is just so like warm. And you mentioned warmed earlier with him. Like it's so warm of like how he watches them and then takes a picture of like capturing the moment. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's beautiful. One thing I, I noticed I thought was interesting, we talk about Spielberg with Midnight Special, but it's, it looks like he was the most influenced by Spielberg on this film uh, because the costume design, I'm sorry, production designer looked at the color purple hmm. for the movie. I started researching way before we started prepping which films to watch for research or what photography to check out. I watched the color purple. I was looking at all the detail, but that was the one that they were looking at. And then cinematographer Adam Stone who's by the way shot all of Nichols's movies by the way Adam Stone mm. uh specifically looked at 80s Spielberg uh in which characters are stacked in triangles in the wide and deep anamorphic frame to be very technical so they're looking at Spielberg movies of the 80s for this movie which is interesting um yeah er everything about I think the production the production design the kind of the cinematography the colors in this movie like the I love the final shot of the them on the farm or on the ranch or the the kind of area they're on their house is beautiful it's a thing like it like what 
This spot right here. This field? Yeah. This field not a half a mile from my house I've been knowing all my life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. I like it. <laughs> I want to put the kitchen back, right back here. Richard, stop this. I don't know what you're saying. I bought it. This whole acre. I'm gonna build you a house. Right here. Our house. So, aftermath of this film. 2016, Nichols would have that usually rare feat of releasing two directed features in the same year. While Midnight Special was released in March of 2016, Loving premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. I think this is his third third of his five films that premiered or were shown at Cannes Film Festival in May of that year before finally being released on November 4th, 2016. The film was met with unanimous praise from critics, appearing on several dozen top 10 movie of the year lists in 2016. The film received praise for Nichols' direction, the quality of the period in the film's visual design, and the performances. Majority of the praise would go to Ruth Nega's performance as Mildred Loving and would eventually receive the only Oscar nomination of the film for her portrayal of Mildred Loving. The film, however, would not catch on with audiences as much, only grossing $12 million against a $9 million budget. It seems when like reading up on it, the producers were hoping this film would like reach the box office heights of like, say the help because it had like the racial kind of storyline that was running throughout it, which and the help had come out five years before and was this massive hit, but loving did not reach those heights. Hmm. So that was 2016 and Jeff Nichols has not made another movie since then. The only thing he has made is a podcast series uh, called Hank the Dog, an adaptation. Uh, Hank the, Hank the Hank Cow the, Dog. Hank the Cow Dog. Thank you. Um, Hank the Dog is, is a Milwaukee Brewers mascot. Um, Hank the Cow Dog, uh, which is a, a, a series of children's books um, by John R. Erickson. And the adaptation, the podcast adaptation, do you know who's in the podcast, by the way? Uh, do I know? I listen to every episode. <laughs> so, okay. So what'd you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. That was one. I loved those books when I was a kid and I had completely forgotten that I loved uh -huh. those books when I was a kid uh -huh. until that podcast dropped. And I went, oh my God, wait, I read all of these books. <laughs> fantastic. That was, it was so much fun. McConaughey, McConaughey and Jesse Plemons. So McConaughey played in Hank the Cowdog and Jesse Plemons was his like kind of dopey sidekick. Yeah. And they were both having a blast. Fantastic like guest stars and everyone on it was just, it was right in that middle, like real intense lockdown when you could tell people were getting bored and <laughs> everyone just like put their all into like, it, it was, it's wild. It's wild to listen to. Cause it's just like all this pedigree of people working on it. And it's yeah. like, it, it was it the primary like sponsor is this like local yeah. texan grocery store chain <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah mcconaughey jesse plemons kirsten dunst um the the author john r r erickson scoot mcnary michael shannon joel edgerton leslie jordan and cynthia revo 
stacked cast and that's the most recent thing mm-hmm. he's done he's doing the quiet place spinoff or quiet place three we're not entirely sure so this is his first really foray into like ip world for jeff nichols mm-hmm. uh i think it's coming out 2022 will be the is the is the planned thing he also has a, a project called yankee commandant which stars adam driver at currently at the moment and a few other sci-fi projects so yeah so here's the question do, was he put in movie jail would you say after loving a midnight special that's a great question i don't know if i'd call it i mean movie jail I, I do feel like movie jail has to do with like like poorly reviewed movies as well i, I definitely yeah, think people are probably a little reluctant to work with him right now as far as they don't know what his box office value is but it sounds like you know he is attached to some things and i do think especially in this current time of like streaming when box office value isn't necessarily like i'm really surprised he hasn't gone to someone who doesn't care as much like like amazon you know that are much more focused on on pedigree like i'm really surprised he hasn't set up an amazon film yeah um because they do theatrical stuff as well not just streaming is the thing yeah yeah yeah. and they're they're you know if you look at a lot of their works they're a little less focused on like reaching an entire audience as they are you know getting prestige stuff yeah yeah i don't i don't i wouldn't necessarily call it call it movie jail you know when anytime at this point when you look back at people and you're like oh they've gone like four years without doing anything you got to factor in that we all spent a year uh, locked in our houses too that's true now now you gotta do that he has written the script for quiet place they said because john krasinski said that he was the first choice to direct a quiet place movie besides Damn, i guess himself. i gotta watch quiet place too now yeah there you go uh so stats um before we talk into the the popular and and highest rated i want to bring up here's the thing about nichols that, that i think is just amazing for a guy who's not well known might have one of the best acting troops i've ever seen mm-hmm. in terms of people so when you look at it you got michael shannon who's been in his five films you have uh adam driver who's gonna be in two you have ray mckinnon who's been in two sam shepherd's been in two Bill camps too. Jill Edgerton's too. Bill camps too. And then if you factor in Hank the Hank the cow dog, you got Kirsten Dunst in two. Uh, you have McConaughey in two. Um, then you have with the ones you got Jessica Chastain, you got uh Reese Witherspoon, you got Shea Wiggum. Like top to bottom, just amazing cast of actors that Ty he can Sheridan. Just, Ty Sheridan. Sorry. By the way. The Mallet connection, Ty Sheridan, Tree of Life. That's why he got cast. Because Sarah oh, Green yeah? worked on Tree of Life and then worked on Mud. Well, I think I texted you this past weekend after I saw the card counter. I was like, Ty Sheridan's 24 and he's worked with uh, Spielberg, <laughs> Paul yeah. Schrader, and Terrence Malick. Like, like, that's insane. Yeah. For somebody that I, I don't, I, I still don't know that I would say he's like a household name, but to be yeah, 24 and, and to have worked with like, those that pedigree of directors and and jeff nichols but yeah amazing acting troupe and i think but he came back to is that nichols apparently has like just a like his his cr- cast and crew have massive amounts of loyalty to him so he's he's worked with he's adam stone has been a cinematographer since shotgun stories uh david wingo has been his composer i think since take shelter julie stone has been his editor since um I think mud is what it is. And then Sarah Green's been like on his producing team since take shelter. 
He's had the same like Sam Recordis for like four of his films. So it's like all of his crew sticks with him throughout all these films and the actors as well. And so there's something to be said for that, that you, you have everyone wanting to keep coming back and working for you with every project you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so stats, what do you think you want to do most popular or highest rated? I'm going to say most popular is mud. That's correct. Mud is the most popular. Hey, um, can, can, can you get all five in a row? That's the big question. Shotgun stories at the bottom. Shotgun stories is at the bottom. Yes. Okay. Uh, loving second. No, not loving. Loving's not second. Take shelter second. Take shelter is second. Midnight special. Midnight special three. Wow. Then loving. Then loving. Wow. Loving only has thirty eight thousand watches on Letterbox. I would have thought the like Letterbox recency bias would have. You would think at least plucked that but, one up a little bit more. Okay. Mud ha- Mud has a hundred and four thousand. Take shelter seventy five. Technically, Midnight Specials number two is seventy six thousand. Letterbox with these their sorting is just terrible. <laughs> uh and then uh Loving at thirty eight thousand. Currently streaming on Netflix for those that want to see it. Shotgun stories, ten thousand. So yeah. All right. High let's see, rating. Mud. No. Mud's number three. Take shelter number one. Take shelter number one. Number two, you said Take Shelter was three? I mean, you said Mud was three? Mud was three. Uh, Midnight Special, two? No. Loving, two? No. Shotgun Stories, two? Shotgun Stories, number two. What? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Mud, three. Mud, three. Loving, four? Loving, four. Take or Midnight Special, five? Midnight Special, five. Uh, Take Shelter is a 3.8 shotgun stories a 3.7 out of five by the way mud 3.6 out of five loving 3.5 out of five and then midnight special 3.3 out of five Hmm. solid average uh and the most represented actor of course is michael shannon so on to final director questions the big one pretty easy i feel is jeff nichols an auteur uh yeah i think so i think that's why he's here this month is he he was the only person we could really point to and be like everything he's made fits within this genre and not only that but i I think kind of defines what this genre is in its current state i agree completely i think i think outside of a few examples i think some i i I said before on previous episodes like something like moonlight fits in this category of like the modern southern film as well but this is like where we're at i think currently mostly is is these type of movies of how it deals with race and repression and family issues and and mysticism uh it's all there and and the thing is with take shelter for example i didn't realize is set set in ohio don't know why i didn't know that i thought it was always set in the south but set in ohio uh but it feels very southern Mm -hmm. so it must be southern ohio (laughs) i mean there's there's southerners and rednecks everywhere i gotta say um what are nichols's running themes um yeah definitely like property family it's 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 not that sounds weird to say it sounds like it's like he's like a hardcore libertarian like (laughs) from my cold dead hands don't tread on me kind of don't take my property yeah not necessarily in that way but just the importance of of you know responsibility i think is ultimately what it boils down to and and recognizing 
who and what you are responsible for and how far you would go yeah to protect that yeah and, and it's because we talked about like that like the, about the houses being torn down finances like i heard him talk about how like with take shelter he's like that was how i was feeling like with like financially with my family at that time like we didn't have money and the and the recession happened like and i was doing this ad stuff and like it just like we it, it was very relatable um all right what genres does Nichols work with then yeah i mean you've got you know kind of sci-fi you've got a psychological thriller you've got this kind of like mud is like a like a crime movie kind of crime coming of age movie (laughs) yeah and shotgun stories is is kind of i mean it's it's revenge revenge movie in a way yeah yeah feuding yeah but the thing with him is like every no matter what genre he plays in it is a very subtly painted character study yeah. Uh, which i think is kind of the most incredible thing about his his touch when it comes to these films is like yeah none of them it, just you describe all of those but they all feel primarily like a drama um yeah. mm-hmm. regardless of what other subgenres they they fall into yeah it's like it says shotgun stories is a revenge film but it's about family um take shelter is a psychological thriller about a marriage and a family um mud is a coming of age crime film that's about just a young boy growing up and having his heart broken and in the background his family being torn apart <laughs> by mm-hmm. divorce or whatever uh midnight special is a father uh, is a sci-fi film about a father taking care of a son and loving is a the straight drama about two people who are in love and who want to be seen as a married couple so yeah. it's but all even it's even all, specifically with like loving you know it is about you know the 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 elevator pitch is you know this is about this huge monumental supreme court case but the movie itself is going to about to be about how little these people cared about it being (laughs) a huge monumental supreme court case and just wanted to keep their family together in their home yeah you're right it's like it it would be in another director's hands the courtroom drama and he's not interested at all in the courtroom aspect of it Mm mm-hmm because the characters weren't all right final genre questions what are some other films that we didn't talk about this month that you want to kind of shout out that you think fit into what we talked about these past few episodes well i gotta throw it out to one of my all-time favorites which is big fish movie that movie that makes me cry like a baby and (laughs) um and i think it, it it touches on a lot of kind of southern storytelling that kind of southern wonder and mysticism and mm-hmm. also i don't know it, it's it's the 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 split between kind of the fantasy world and the real world is so yeah. ridiculously well done in that movie and it's one of those things you watch it now and you're like i don't know five years after this movie was made i don't know that tim burton could make this movie again i agree because i don't know that he could have on it showed the real world as honestly as he did in mm-hmm. in this um just fantastically made film incredible cast like so good and i i, yeah. I speak to some people now who are just like oh that tim burton movie i'm like how, when, like when was the last time you saw that like revisit that movie period they, they must not be southerners is what i have to say <laughs> southerners love that movie a couple for me in the heat of the night i love mm-hmm. um that kind of fits in this genre because we haven't really talked about like the southern mystery because that's also kind of a subgenre in a way of like southern mm-hmm. crime in this and i think in the heat of the night does that incredibly well but also at the core of it it's about 
race issues in this town in Mississippi. I think that one, another one I love, it's West Virginia, coal mining town, but Matewan by John Sales, I think is um, amazing. I think just a, a completely realistic portrayal of that era. I'm surprised, one I haven't seen, but I know you love. I don't know if you can consider the Southern uh, a face in the crowd. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a fantastic movie. Yeah, if you guys if you guys have not seen it, please seek that one out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other one I would I would shout out. I mean, there's a ton of them, but I I do think to highlight kind of where the genre is right now is one we had recently was uh, Minari. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one did a great job at introducing kind of like an immigrant story into the Southern story as well, because that's yeah. ultimately what kind of Stephen Yoon's character is going through is like he he's wants this Southern American dream of being tied to the land to and, land. and yeah. then growing something of his own and you've got just absolutely wonderful will Patton as his like Carrying quirky cross. evangelical yeah, yeah, yeah. neighbor yeah. friend um yeah that that was my favorite film of 2020 i yeah. think it's amazing it takes place in arkansas uh but also deals with the family aspect of it and trying to provide for his family and the links he will go to provide for his family and the same for his wife it's 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 that kind of troubles i think it's a beautiful beautiful film um that should be checked out immediately if you haven't already seen it all right last question what did you learn overall this month when going through all these southern films you know i I came into this month kind of with my theories of where this would go and 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 i I feel like most of them were affirmed Mm -hmm. but but it it it, i think it was a lot stronger than i thought it was going to be i thought we were going to be kind of like same. trying like, you know trying I, I to really already, pick through things yeah, yeah i was already picturing us with you know like the the conspiracy board with like the red threads going back and forth but <laughs> but a lot more is there than than you would think about and i think yeah. it, i think it's yeah and that's why something like minari is is so kind of promising for the future of this film is saying like we can take these stories which are traditionally uh white for the most part um and and we can tell you know this 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 experience these kind of stories these themes apply to so many people and so i think it i think it is very promising that and loving because yeah i think they're they're both modern films that show us that this genre can keep going yeah i mean i, I said we talked about this, we talked about this with Callan hot and rupa i think moonlight i think moonlight mm-hmm. is an example where it's like from a, a black man's perspective this idea of repression and sexuality mm-hmm. it's like you i think you can easily if we're doing the conspiracy theory you can easily draw a red line red line of yarn from tennessee williams to moonlight it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty direct thing it feels like of how yeah, absolutely it, it explores the similar themes just in a modern sense within a, a different a different type of world i guess and than than rich white people mississippi um and yeah, it's all, it's all and I, even to the point of like narration and characters looking back on their lives with this, with Scout and To Kill a Mockingbird or Jessica Tandy and Fried Green Tomatoes or even Legend of Boggy Creek. Like it's this idea of, and I think even there's essences of that in these, in some of these films we talked about, even with Nichols of like, I think Mud is him looking back on his life as coming. I think he talked about Mud as like, he wanted to capture the feeling of what it was like when he was in high school, like when he had his heart broken by a girl that he just loved. Mm-hmm. and that's kind of mud uh at the core of it and so like it's all about these kind of people looking back on lives their ties to the land or ties to their city or their town and ties to the people around them and the past so yeah i think i agree with you i think all the things were much stronger than i was expecting 
I thought we were really going to have to, like you said, like reach to like, oh, this happens in this movie, this happens in that movie. But it was pretty, pretty easy to do. Yep. Um, so there's uh, so there's more to go through. So go if you if you haven't already, go look at our letterbox list. Uh, currently called In the Heat of the Night. Look at Southern Films. Um, a big list, like th- like almost 300 films, I think, on it. Yeah, next month gonna be crazy. Re- real big pivot from Southern Films. Gonna be talking about body horror movies for the month of October for hey. Halloween coming up. Uh, got a couple things planned for you. We're gonna be doing a. At the moment, it's going to be The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing to start off with. We're going to be doing James Gunn's Slither. We're going to be doing uh, the anime Akira. And then we're finishing off the month with the filmography of the king of body horror himself, David Cronenberg. So I don't know much about body horror. So this is going to be really interesting of a genre I'm going to have to learn a lot about. I think, Thomas, you're the same. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to be going into this and kind of discovering this with us. Or with with you guys so hopefully you guys stay tuned for that go watch those movies if you haven't already go watch some of these kind of southern films we've been discussing and the ones that we've mentioned so yeah but that's all we have for this episode and this month of southern films make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast on apple podcast spotify stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise review on whatever platform you listen to the show on yes we'd love to hear from you love to hear your thoughts on the show any feedback and like we've always say anything you can do to kind of boost and and get us out there to friends but even just leaving a review helps boost us within you know whatever podcast platform you listen to so even if you've already told all your friends they don't want to listen leaving a review you know passes us along to strangers as well and if you haven't already make sure you like us on facebook twitter and instagram thomas as always thank you for joining me thanks for having me and thank you all for listening we have to listen to more episodes soon bye